Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your host, Nathan Wilson, your garden pal. Uh, of course, we have been on a rampage for the past three weeks or so. A rampage about houseplants. Now, I don't mean we were getting upset or angry. I just mean it was some lengthy discussions about growing your indoor garden. Remember, this is wintertime. Things outside are chilly. Some days they're cold. And many others are just wet. And I know that that kind of weather condition may not always be fun to garden in, to dig in. And really, you shouldn't dig in wet soil. But you can garden all year long indoors with houseplants. Now, we're going to shift our uh, focus today. But I do want to remind you that if you missed any of those episodes about houseplants... Uh, you've got the secrets of success there. You've got the 10 golden rules. We've got a list of my favorite, I would say favorite, but definitely five easiest houseplants to start with. You can find all that on the website, of course, at NewSouthernGarden.com because the shows that aired three weeks ago over the course of three weeks, they're not just gone. No, they've been banked away. So definitely check out NewSouthernGarden.com where you can listen to any episode we've ever had. And you can leave us a question. And that leads us, it's a good segue. It's a great segue into today's program because on the program today, of course, we are going to be answering your questions. It's been some time now since I've uh, pulled out from the old uh, mailbag <laughs> some questions to answer. And we, I've always thought it was a great thing to be able to um, listen to what's going on in your landscape, find out your problems could be your garden counselor your your garden psychiatrist i don't know gardening psychiatrist where we can answer your uh, questions solve your problems and get you growing and growing well so we've got some great questions to talk about uh today but like i said if you've missed out on anything that's happened in the past just check us out at newsoutherngarden.com it's not the only way to keep in touch with us of course you can listen uh, to the program on the podcasting apps you can check us out on facebook and instagram and uh, do some things there now Speaking of the website, I'll say that one thing I've wanted to do with New Southern Garden is, uh, you know, more than just talk and talk and talk. But I did want to write. So I've got some articles coming out. Uh, I have been very bad. I think I've only done three or so over the course of the of the show. But I wanted to supplement your listening, uh, listening to the garden and, and, and reading about the garden. So you can check out some articles. We're going to try to post those weekly and give you some good information. And of course, they're shareable. Uh, you know, you can find the link on Facebook and then share it uh, to your friends and family. Because one of the topics that I wrote about just recently is time and the garden. Time, I, I consider it the, the uh, forgotten element of garden design. 
You see, if you're designing your landscape, you know, you're looking at leaves, you're looking at flowers, you're looking at plants and all the fun stuff, right? And, and maybe you're putting them in rows or groups and how you do that with certain colors. But we always forget that what you do today in the garden is going to look different literally tomorrow. But in five years, in 10 years, things are going to dramatically look different. And so when you're designing your landscape, you've got to accept the fact that that little cute redbud tree you planted from a small, uh, small size container, it's going to be big. It's going to maybe be 15, 20, 25 feet uh, within the next 20 years or so. It will grow. If it's fed well, if it's got everything it needs, it will grow. And so placing it three or four feet away from the corner of the house, folks, it's not a good idea. So when we're designing and thinking about what to plant, and you know, spring is coming up, and that means you're going to be thinking about these things. You've got to think about time. And of course, I've talked about that on the program before. But uh, anyhow, the point was, I'm kind of going on a, a, a tangent here. The point is, is to check out NewSouthernGarden.com so you can find some of my writings. Of course, you can always join us here live every Saturday morning on WRWH 93.9 FM right out of Cleveland, Georgia. And of course, this is your hometown radio. But to today's topic, we are going to talk about your gardens. We're going to talk about your uh, problems or questions you may have. We've got a a number of them. I hope I can get through them all because, you know, I get a little long-winded, but I call it passionate. I'm just passionate about these things. So let's jump right in and talk about um, a question here from Flowery Branch, Georgia. Of course, Flowery Branch, Georgia, is where the uh, nursery that I operate, Lanier Nursery and Gardens, is located. You'll find me there throughout the week. Of course, I'm here uh, on Saturdays. But Patrick in Flowery Branch, just to summarize here, he says that he's uh, wanting to create a screen for privacy to separate him from his neighbors, and he's wondering how close... He should be planting plants for a screen like this. And also, he mentions that he plans to use different types of plants, which may be different sizes. So should he consider that? Well, Patrick, this is a very uh, common question, especially uh, when you're, you're planting densely and heavily. Because again, trying to create a screen, you know, another word for that is hedge. Now, some people consider a hedge something you trim, and that's, that's very true. Most screens these days, you know, whether it's made out of, uh, well, the old-fashioned plant that we refuse to use, Leland Cypress, uh, better plants today would be Green Giant Arborvitae and Cryptomeria, one called Yoshino, and of course there are hollies. Uh, like Nellie R. Stevens and Mary Nell. There's so many uh, large hollies that look great with red berries as a big, large screen. And, uh, oh, the Arizona Cypress, which is a nice, ashy blue color. And it can make a gorgeous screen. But no matter what plants you choose to use, you're exactly right. The question comes down to how close can I plant them? Or how close should I plant them? Well, the question, how close should I plant them, doesn't really matter so much. The question is, how close can you plant them? Because the answer is, you can plant them as close as you like. You see, from the plant's perspective, it really doesn't matter. And 
Whenever we answer a question like this, I encourage you to look towards nature. How does nature plant trees? Sometimes nature plants trees on top of trees. Literally, you'll have two different kinds of trees appearing to come from the same rootstock. Even though we know that's not the case, it just means that two plants fell at the same point, started growing, compete with each other, they do just fine, and they essentially form or uh, rather take up the same space. So for the landscape purposes, Patrick, you can, just like Mother Nature does, you can plant your plants as close as you like. But here are the two other concerns uh, when you're deciding how close you want them. First of all, for planting a screen, usually the goal there is to um, plant something that is going to fill in and hide something from something else. <laughs> usually, it is uh, the plants hiding your view from your neighbor's view. So you're not looking at each other uh, through patio screens or looking at each other from uh, back decks or, heaven forbid, looking at each other from bathrooms. But regardless, uh, you are trying to create something to hide something. And generally, you do want them to grow quickly. You see, you're not going to plant a tree that is fully mature. That would be crazy. Only Walt Disney World uh, has really ever done that, to my knowledge. But regardless, uh, what you do is you're going to go out to the nurseries, buy small plants, right? Maybe they're three-gallon plants. Maybe they're 15-gallon plants. They can be decent size, but they're not completely mature. You're going to plant those. You're going to let them grow. You're going to feed them. They're going to stretch out their branches and start to screen and hide and block that view from whatever it is you're screening. So if you want your plants to fill in faster, if you want your screen to get thicker and lusher and denser at a faster rate, there's a simple solution. You plant closer. So even if Let's say you're using a plant that gets 25 feet wide. Now, ideally, you could space them 25 feet from center of plant to center of plant, and eventually, over time, over the course of their life, they're eventually going to touch. But that could be a long time from now. That means that there would be many years' worth of family barbecues with your pesky neighbor looking over at what it is you're putting on the grill, you see? So if you want that screen to fill in faster, the answer to your question, how close should you plant plants for a screen, is as close as you want. Now the other side of the coin, there is something that can prevent you from planting them as close as you want, and that's budget. You see, the other answer to this question is how much space between plants does your budget allow for? If you plant denser, you plant more trees uh, closer together, then you will obviously have to spend more on plant material. Instead of uh, planting 10 trees, you plant 15. Well, that's 50% more of the cost. So if your budget says, eh, I can't do 15, I am going to have to do maybe 9 or 10, well, then you just wait. You just wait for them to grow to fill in. You see, what I always tell people in the nursery when they ask me, uh, how many plants do I need here and there, depending on your goal, which in this case is to create a thick hedge, right? Um, depending on your goal, it's going to depend on how much you can afford, how much you can. Because you're either going to pay for it, 
you're either going to pay for it in cash up front at the plant producer at the nursery, or you're going to pay for it over the course of time. So you're either writing the check or you're waiting. Now, both of those are costs. As a matter of fact, when I was in school, I remember a term called opportunity cost. What is the opportunity cost of doing something rather than something else? You see, so the opportunity cost uh, for planting denser would be, hey, it's going to be more cash, a bigger check, a bigger invoice, but you get a screen faster. Now, the opposite end, using less plants, what does that encourage? Well, that encourages a light bill, but it does take a long time to fill that screen in. So there's really no good answer to to your question, Patrick, I guess. Uh, What I always like to determine is a reasonable spacing. If you want it to fill in fast, plant them closer. If you don't care how long it takes, plant them further apart. But look at that plant's maturity. You see, if you you find that a plant is 20 feet apart or, or 20 feet wide, but you want it to fill in faster, you could probably get away with planting them 10 or 15 feet apart. means that you'll be planting more plants, like we've already said, but the point is you will have some room uh, that they're not super crowded and, and you will have plenty of plants to achieve that goal of getting a thick screen. Now, what I will say about um, Leland cypress, we don't recommend it. It's not a good tree. Uh, It grows fast, yes, and that's a good attribute, but it does have a series of problems. The architecture of the plant is weak and poor, and also its disease resistance. There are so many diseases to it. It really has no resistance. Uh, There are several cankers uh, that can pop up and cause problems. But back in the day, one of the reasons why Leland became such a problem was because people were planting them very closely. As a matter of fact... I remember seeing some examples of screens where Leland's were spaced literally every two feet apart. Now, that is not inappropriate, but it does encourage uh, disease to, to become a problem. Whenever one plant got the disease, well, every two feet, that's all that disease had to spread to cause problems with that entire hedge, you see. So Leland's, we're getting away from those. But having a reasonable amount of space in between plants is always, always a good thing. Now, I know that your next, the next part of your question is you're using different size plants. And I'm going to try to give you an easy way to think about spacing those different sizes within each other and together as soon as we get back from this quick break. So hang on tight. We're talking about Patrick's question, how close to plant plants for a screen, and now how to use different plants within that screen. So we'll be right back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our 
our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, let's get growing together. Gang, well, today we're trying to screen away pesky neighbors, or we're going to attempt to hide some unsightly feature, probably something in the neighbor's backyard, most likely. Uh, maybe you have an unfortunate situation like me, where a portion of our property line uh, is adjacent to uh, some vehicles that are parked there frequently. <laughs> uh, we want to screen those off. We want to hide those from our view because the landscape is supposed to look like a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful escape, an oasis, not just a beautiful area that's surrounded by a parking lot. So if you have something unsightly or maybe something pesky on the other side of your property line, uh, then creating a screen would be a great option for you. And Patrick from Flowery Branch is doing just that, but he does... He does have some questions that he wants answered, and we've talked to extent in the first uh, segment about how to choose, uh, rather, how to space plants based on budget and placed on the goal, the speed at which you want that screen to fill in. And in summary, uh, the two answers are this. How close do you plant plants in a screen? Well, as much as you can afford and as close as you want them to fill in faster. I did not say that well at all. If you want them to fill in faster, you just plant them closer. But he throws in a wrench here in part of his question. Patrick again says that he wants to use different size plants within that screen. So how do you know how to space those? Well, we always, like I said before, we always want to do a little research and make sure we know the mature size of certain plants, whatever it is we're choosing to plant and grow. Now, some screen, screen let me just back up and say, I guess, the best screening plants, if you have a wide area, would be ones that get quite wide. They grow fast and they get wide because they will be the best bang for your buck in the long run. If they have the potential to get 20 feet wide and you have plenty of space to contain that girth, then those are great plants because you don't need as many and they're growing fast to that, to that size. But let's say you have some plants that only get half that. Maybe they only get 10 feet or maybe even 8 feet wide. Maybe they're great plants, but they are narrower. Well, in horticulture, when we're, when we're spacing plants or in garden design, when you're drawing them, you're always measuring the distance between plants from the center of the plant to the center of another one. Now, whatever that plant's width is, naturally, say it's 20 feet. Well, the center of one to the center of the other will be 20 feet as well, ideally. Because, of course, you're looking at the radius of one plus the radius of another, which, of course, is the diameter of the whole. And so when we talk about spacing, people say, well, where do I measure from? You measure from the center of the plant to the center of the next one. So with that in mind, let's say we're going to mix two different types of plants. This discussion might be a little easier if I could draw it out for you. But say we're going to use a plant that gets 20 feet wide. 
and we're going to put a plant that gets 10 feet wide uh, beside it. Well, what we have to do is we have to take half of the width of the 20, which would be 10, and half of the width of the 10, which would be 5. 10 and 5 is 15. So now from the center of one of those to the center of the other would be 15 feet. See, it's pretty simple. I guess you literally could uh, create a formula to plug and play, and you'd have all your calculations for proper spacing right there, Patrick. But basically, take the half, half diameter, which would be the radius, of each plant, add it together, and that is what you would space from center of one to center of the other. Now, in gardening, you know, there's flexibility. Plants are malleable. They can grow together. They can co-mingle and live in the same general closeness. You know, you don't have to be precise about it. Now, I know that sometimes, especially if you're some kind of mathematical person or engineer mind or something or OCD or whatever they call it these days, you know, you may want it to be perfect and you can get the measuring tape out and whatnot. But if you take a stride, if you just stand where you want to plant one tree and stride about uh, however many paces, you know, your stride may be about three feet or so. Mine's pretty close to that. Then you have a general spacing because, again, in the landscape, unlike brain surgery or something like that, in the landscape, um, it it's, it's, it's not rocket science. We don't have to get everything lined up just right. But of course, we can eyeball things and we can bring them as close or as far apart as we'd like. But yes, having that research, knowing how generally how large a plant will get will make your planting look better and fuller and more appropriately spaced. To touch on that example I gave early on about uh, uh, those Leland cypresses that were planted every two feet, that's a bit overkill. There's nothing wrong with that because when you plant little plants, they look small. They're cute. They're fluffy, but they're going to become monsters. So even though they don't look right up front, just remember that in 10, 12, 15, 20 years from now, if they're spaced more reasonably, considering budget and also considering the goal, the speed at which you want these plants to grow and fill in, then down the line in the future, things will make more sense and you won't have a crowded jungle feel, you see. So screens are great. Of course, screens are like hedges. They're not necessarily trimmed and hedged like a, a true hedge would be. Uh, you can let them grow naturally and show off their, their just natural beauties. Uh, or rather their natural characteristics that are quite beautiful. And of course, I listed several of plants that are popular to use. Uh, and if you missed any part of that, be sure in a few hours to check out this program online at NewSouthernGarden.com, where you can find every episode of uh, New Southern Garden that we've ever had. Now, now, you know what? All of this discussion about growing a fast, strong hedge has uh, led me to think about something that we probably should touch on because this this aspect of gardening and the way plants grow, it really does affect every aspect of gardening, whether you're growing vegetables, uh, fruits, flowering plants, shrubs, or trees. There's a term that we use in, in really agriculture, uh, and it finds its way into horticulture. It's called the limiting factor for growth. I'm not sure if we've talked about this term before, but the limiting factor for growth refers to something that the plant needs 
but is not receiving enough of to maximize its growth. There's something that the plant has to have in order to grow uh, that it's delinquent in. Well, not really delinquent. That it's deficient in. That's the word. Something that the plant is deficient in that is slowing it down, preventing it from growing. Now, let me lead, talk a little story here. I, I think that I've told you this one before, but it's a good one. A few years ago, this uh, older man, older gentleman came to me. Uh, he didn't have any pictures or anything. Most of the time, people bring pictures on their phone, but he just looked at me and he said, Hey, I have planted 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I planted some uh, azaleas. They were just little bitty ones coming out of little tiny pots. And I put them in the ground, and they haven't grown worth anything. They're still little bitty, just like they came out of those pots. What's wrong with them? You know, I get that a lot. People just demanding me to tell them what is wrong with a plant, which is fine. I like to take a shot. doesn't mean I always know. There's a lot of questions here. But I looked at him and I said, well, Mr. Smith, we'll call him Mr. Smith. I, I don't remember his name. Mr. Smith, I said, you said you planted them 30 years ago, right? That's right, 30 years ago. And I said, well, are they in the shade? Most azaleas like the shade. Yeah, they're in the shade. They're, in, they're underneath some, some tall trees. Okay, okay, that's good. I said, well... Um, how about fertilizer? When is the last time you fed your baby azaleas? He looked at me and he said, 30 years ago. I said, well, Mr. Smith, uh, no offense, but you'd be mighty small too if you only ate once every 30 years. And we got to take a break, but when we get back, I'm going to show you how there is always something that a plant needs, well, there shouldn't always be something, but a lot of times there is something deficient, something the plant requires and demands in order to grow well. In Mr. Smith's case, they just needed nutrition. When we get back, we're going to talk more about limiting factor for growth and what it means for you and growing well. Hang on tight. Come to life in the country. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, poor, poor Mr. Smith. You know, I'm not exactly sure how Mr. Smith's azaleas turned out. I don't know if Mr. Smith is still around or not. I wonder if Mr. Smith's azaleas, if he did pass away, bless his heart. Hopefully not. But if he did, I wonder if they took off and started to grow. Uh, maybe out of revenge. Maybe he didn't treat his azaleas well. I don't know. But folks, before we went to the quick break, we were talking about the limiting factor of growth. There's always, or there could be, not that there should be, but there could be something, one little factor that you can alter or change to make sure that your plants are growing and growing well. They have everything they need. 
And if there is a factor that it's deficient in, that we call the limiting factor for growth. Now, in my little analogy there, my little story, um, Mr. Smith's azaleas were not fed for 30 years. Now, we're not saying you always have to fertilize plants. Some plants, like vegetables, boy, they really respond when you give them plenty of nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium. Now, most shrubs and trees, once they hit a certain age, there's sort of this balance with the soil because they have a wide root system. And if you're not taking anything away from the soil, if you're not harvesting like you would in the vegetable garden, anything out of that system, then usually they find some kind of balance with feed and whatnot. But the limiting factor for growth could be anything, not just nutrition. That's just my example. You see, if there is a plant that requires a bunch of sun and you decide to plant it under a shady oak tree, well, guess what? You've created a limiting factor for growth. You've planted that sun-loving plant in the shade. It doesn't have enough sun to grow. It'll probably always be kind of wimpy and puny, sickly-like. And that's not usually what we want to see with our plants. We want to see robustness. How about water? If a plant's not receiving enough water, guess what? That becomes a limiting factor for growth. Some plants, they need moist, wet soil even. Other plants, they don't need a lot of water. So we've got to know a bit about the plants we're growing, what they require. Now, with that being said, if you have a plant that seems to be underperforming, you don't see any signs of insect problem, you don't see any sign of disease, because those can make plants uh, look and appear weak as well. But if we want to deduce if our plant has a um, limiting factor, for its growth there it's sort of like going to the doctor in a way you know you go to the doctor and you're like doctor my foot hurts and he says well let's feel around let's take some MRIs see if the bones are broke no your bones aren't broke so we know that's not the problem and then maybe he's uh you know trying to give you some pills or something to help relieve the pain and that doesn't work okay so that sometimes all right and then maybe he finds oh you had a tendon problem i don't know i'm not a doctor as you can tell but the point is it's sort of this deducing something uh trying to figure out what's not happening so you find what's actually happening and that can be easily done there's a few ways you can do that first of all the very first thing you should do if your plant seems to be ailing in some way other than disease or insects would be to take a soil sample. You see, the soil sample is not necessarily going to tell you what's going on with the plant, but it will tell you more about what the plant's growing in and if there is nutrition there, if the pH is off, because the pH can be the cause of some of these nutrient deficiencies. But a soil sample is cheap to do. You just collect your sample uh, and then you send it off to your county extension agent uh, here in the state of Georgia. Of course, we would go to our county extension agent through the University of Georgia. They would send it off for us in a few days. You've got a report. It's probably about eight dollars. Not sure. Don't take that to the bank. I'm not exactly sure, but it is pretty cheap. Now, um, the next thing you could do other than a soil sample would be to actually send off to the labs 
a leaf of your plant. Now, that's a little more expensive. That test is not quite as as cheap as a soil sample is, uh, but a leaf sample or stem sample, a, a tissue sample, I think they call it, a tissue sample can actually tell you what is in the leaf, what is in the plant. It's much like going to the doctor and getting your blood drawn. Think of it this way. When you go to the doctor, they draw your blood, they check it out. They can see what kind of vitamins or minerals are in your blood. Are they at the right levels? Do you have a vitamin D deficiency? Is your vitamin C low? How about your B12? Maybe that's why you're feeling kind of funny. They can see if there's uh, infections and things. And to some degree, they can do the same thing with uh, tissue samples in a plant lab. So that is a more precise way to find out if there is some kind of deficiency to figure out what this limiting factor uh, for growth may be. Now, you can sometimes just look at the plant. You can look at the plant and sort of deduce some symptoms. Uh, you can find some information on the internet. I probably need to do an art talk of talking about writing for New Southern Garden. I probably need to do an article about deficiencies in plants uh, because you can look at where a leaf is turning a certain yellow, or maybe it's turning white, or maybe it's purple even, or something. Uh, and then you can look at where that's happening in the veins, in in between the veins, on the margins of the leaves. There's so many different symptoms that a plant can um, uh, show, which can help us determine if they are lacking a certain kind of deficiency. Now, a lot of times, uh, the plant is lacking in nitrogen, and you sort of have this yellowing of the leaf. It looks anemic. It looks sad. It looks pitiful. <laughs> and that nitrogen is a big limiting factor for growth around here, folks, because nitrogen doesn't hold on to the soil. Um, you can also look at the plant and see if the plant is wilted. If the plant is wilted, it could mean that the uh, plant doesn't have enough water around its roots. That would be dry soil. That could be the limiting factor for growth, water. Or it could be that there's too much water around the plant's roots and you're getting a wilt, meaning that the limiting factor for growth there is oxygen or, or is air rather. The atmosphere. Now, of course, waterlogged soil pushes out oxygen, pushes out air. Roots start to rot. And the lack of oxygen can be a um, limiting factor for growth. So there are a lot of ways that you can deduce, but it is, dedu it is deduction, right? You're saying it could be this, and you either rule it out or you say that's the problem. And you're just deducing. Going to the doctor is the same thing as kind of being, your, being a doctor to your plants. But limiting factor for growth, when we're talking about uh, screens and how fast things should grow, uh, I wanted to mention that because if you want your garden, whether it's a screen or a vegetable garden or pansies over winter, no matter what it is you're growing, if you want them to be lush, be green, be full, be flowering, then you've got to make sure they have everything they need to grow. There may be more than one limiting factor for growth in your garden. It may be a lack of nutrient. It may be a lack of water. It may be a lack of sun. It may be a lack of oxygen. There could be more than one. But here's the encouraging part, folks, that once you start looking at your plants, maybe taking some soil samples, maybe taking some tissue samples, maybe fertilizing, whatever you're doing, when you start doing these things, you are helping your plants grow better. 
physical, just observation, looking at your plants on a day-to-day, weekly basis, however often you can get in the landscape, is going to make your garden grow and grow well. And along the way, you're going to learn a lot about your plants. You're going to learn a lot about your garden, about your soil, about your space, which can help you to make better decisions, better uh, plant choices, better practices. It can make you, like I said, grow well. So that's limiting factor for growth. It's something that we don't talk about much, but we should Because we've got to make sure we're giving our plants everything they need so they not only look good themselves, but they make us feel a lot better. That's the point. These plants, looking at them, they're growing. They're doing their own thing. You know, they probably don't even know we exist. But they can make us have a happier day. All right, all right, enough of my ramblings. Uh, I do think that's good information to know, to be on the lookout for your plants and their health. Uh, but back to your questions, back to your gardens. Uh, Susan here is in Claremont, Georgia, not too far south here. Uh, she is asking a question, basically, to summarize. She's asking a question uh, about some plants she got, uh, maybe some bare roots, even things that she isn't ready to put in their final location, uh, but she does want them to stay alive, continue to grow, and then hopefully transplant them at a later date when she's got some beds formed and things like that. Is that possible? How do you go about doing that? Yes, Susan. Yes, adamantly. Yes, being able to keep plants Uh, temporarily stored, we'll say, (laughs) in some kind of bed or situation where they're growing, they're healthy, they're happy, uh, their roots are able to spread, their leaves and stems are able to reach, but then later move them out of that bed is something that we've been doing for a long time in the garden and gardening, and you can do it too. Now, the term we call, uh, rather, the word for the action of temporarily planting something uh, for the later purposes of moving it is called healing in h-e-e-l healing in i don't really have the history uh, in front of me here but healing in is where we would sometimes in the vegetable garden or some soft soil could doesn't even have to be soil It could be some lightweight material, maybe soil conditioner, compost, organic matter, something that you can place on the roots of the plant so that the roots don't dry out, but yet they don't reach down into heavy clay soils, which would be hard, harder to remove it from. So again, we're usually looking for some kind of material, lightweight, very organic-y. That's why the vegetable garden, some vegetable beds, raised beds are great places to heal in. Now, if you don't have a place in the vegetable garden or a, a, a raised bed somewhere where you can go ahead and utilize that space for healing in, you can create one. And I think I'll talk about that in a little bit. But when you're healing in, say you've got your bed, you've got your space, you're going to plant that light, fluffy material, whether it's some kind of uh, shredded mulch, compost, uh, manure, well, <laughs> rot, well-rotted manure, we'll say we don't want to use fresh manure on the roots of these plants. But the key is that you dig sort of a trench, not a hole. So a trench is sort of this sideways uh, uh, trough in a way. 
because you're going to lay your plants at about a 45 degree angle with the soil. You don't want to set them necessarily vertical. Uh, setting them vertical is going to stimulate them to want to root in and fill that space. But we want them to just grow slightly, uh, stay alive, be healthy, but be able to be removed. So digging a, uh, a trough, kind of a sideways uh, trench, we'll say, uh, and then placing that plant in at an angle and then covering the, the roots with soil, some kind of um, con- conditioner, whatever, soil conditioner, that is going to help the plant stay alive, but also not fully root in so that it's harder to remove it. Now, I know the question may be, naturally, is how long can that last? How long can I heal in? And generally, we would say you can heal in for an extended period of time, but usually six, maybe 12 months or so. One season of growth is about all you'd want to deal with because if you let it go too long, then that plant's going to root in and it's going to want to stay there. Uh, I've healed some things in that are still where I healed them in. So when we get back, we're going to talk about how to create this healing in bed or a nursery bed. Just a few seconds. Be right back. For the world to behold stories of... Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. friend from Claremont, Susan, has gotten me into this uh, mindset here this morning that we need to talk about probably one of the most essential and highly productive spaces you could provide your landscape and garden. Now, talking about the nursery bed, we talk about flower beds. We talk about shrub beds. We talk about beds for trees. We talk about, did I say vegetables? We talk about vegetable beds. Talk about all these beds that we fill with certain kinds of plant. But there is one kind of bed, one kind of space that you can create in your landscape that I think is going to be the most productive for you. It's going to save you a lot of money. And not only that, it's going to be a highly educational space. The nursery bed. Now, of course, you know, I'm a nursery man. I'm a nursery guy. I operate Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But at a nursery, the point is to grow plants. I shouldn't say grow, to propagate and cultivate them. So taking one mother plant and making plenty and plenty of babies. Now, that is where gardeners, and here I am talking as a nursery person who wants to sell you plants, but also want you, more importantly, to be successful in your landscape, and creating a space that is strictly dedicated to the growth of young plants can be highly productive 
and very cost effective. It can keep your bank account at a great high (laughs) and also your gardening endeavors at a great high. So the point is a nursery bed is a temporary space. It's a temporary space where plants are allowed to grow until one of two things happen. Until they're large enough to be set out in amongst some other large plants. Or number two, you have created a new area where they can be transplanted to, to create a new space, a new garden, if you will. Now, this nursery bed can be a great place to start seeds. You know, what I used to do when I was a kid, I thought the only way to start seeds was indoors while it's still cool, cold outside. You put a, a fake light, not a fake light, but a fluorescent light or something over them. You you get a heat mat from the base. And there's nothing wrong with growing plants in, in plastic cells and pots. But, you know, I kind of got tired of it because it's a lot of work. And my plants, the, the harder I tried, I could never get them to look like Mother Nature did, just planted in the ground. So the very first thing I did when we moved to our new home and garden uh, was to create that. That's actually the first space. I planted some trees and planted some small perennials here and there. But the biggest project that I've undertaken uh, this year so far, well, past season, I should say. It's beginning of a new year. But uh, anyhow, uh, the first thing that I did was to create these nursery beds. Now, I found a fairly level area uh, in the back where... Uh, I'd be able to hide it if I ever wanted to do that, but I think that it can be very uh, educational for people who come out and visit. Uh, Just uh, killed off some grass and the turf. I edged the beds. I tilled them over and then incorporated two inches of organic matter on top. Incorporating means to turn it into the soil. So I've got this nice, fluffy, lightweight soil now, uh, which holds on to moisture but drains well. And then I mulched the top of them, and I've started already sowing perennial seeds, some shrub seeds, uh, placed some, some bulbous-type plants and some rooted cuttings and things in these nursery beds. Because we just moved, as if you've been following the show, uh, joining me here every week uh, on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. now on WRWH 93.9 FM. If you've been joining me, you know that we bought this house over last summer, and It's a new place. It's a barren landscape, but it's going to be lush and beautiful. And these nursery beds were the first thing I needed because there were so many plants that I wanted to keep and store, but I didn't want to put them somewhere uh, in the landscape because there's no real bed. There's no design yet. I don't know where to put some of these cool plants that I want to grow. And so now I've got these nice fluffy beds. I've got several different types of perennial seeds already planted. Um, and hopefully this, this spring we'll start to see some growth and germination. I'm also going to try to do some cuttings directly into these nursery beds. Now, again, you can always come to Lanier Nursery and Gardens, and I'll be glad to help you pick out the best plants for your site and sell you plants. But if you ever get to the point where you say, I want to try to grow some things I just can't find, that was one of my things is, you know, the, the nursery industry doesn't have every plant in the world available at our fingertips. A lot of times we have to grow some things ourselves. It's a really cool plant, but nobody's marketing it, right? 
So with that in mind, this nursery bed can be can be a place to start tomato seedlings. It can be a place to start vegetables. It could be just a temporary holding place. You can heal in uh, transplanted shrubs or trees. If somebody gives you a sucker off of some plant, it's got roots and you don't want the roots to dry out, you can stick it into your nursery bed and know that your plant is safe and sound in that temporary home uh, until you create a space where it can be planted or you find the best spot, uh, the most appropriate spot. Because that's one thing that I found when you have gardening friends and you give each other plants or give each other seeds and you're, you're like, well, I do want to get it started. I do want to grow it. Or, you know, they just automatically give you a cutting. You weren't expecting it. You didn't have a plan for that. You don't know where to put it. But if you have a holding spot, a healing in area, a nursery bed, then you're going to be able to secure that plant uh, for the long haul, but just temporarily place it. So uh, to kind of expand upon uh, Susan from Claremont's question, you know, she was looking to temporarily place things, and that process of temporarily placing plants is called healing in. And I think the best way to do it is to create a nursery bed, which again, the sole purpose of a nursery bed is to temporarily house and um, um, maintain, survive, whatever, uh, those plants until they can be moved to their more permanent location. Now, like I said, these uh, nursery beds can be built simply like I did. I just uh, killed some grass and turned the soil over, softened that soil up with a tiller and also incorporated organic matter. You could use compost, manure, anything like that. But you could also make a raised bed for your nursery bed. You could get some wooden boards and piece them together and fill that up with some nice, fluffy, lightweight material, usually for a nursery bed or a healing-in bed. Again, that light, fluffy weight material is critical. You don't want too heavy of a clay uh, because it's more permanent. The roots will find more permanency in that kind of substrate. Um, And then, you know, if it's a raised bed, you could use blocks, whatever kind of material you want to do, you got it there. Now, the next step that I'm going to take with my (laughs) nursery bed creation, uh, I didn't mention, but the nursery beds that I've created are in full sun. You see, so that limits me to the kinds of plants that I can heal in or the kinds of plants that I can grow from seed and just temporarily uh, let them take off there. The goal here is to have nursery beds in sun and nursery beds in shade. I think what I will do more immediate is use my nursery beds in the sun and then put shade cloth over them. But in the long haul, I think I will create some nursery beds that are in the shade so I don't have to worry about my um, my shade plants getting too, too much sun and scorchy. Well, gang, it has been a week of q and I really was just too long-winded. We talked about limiting factor for growth, how to p- properly space your plants in a screen, and, of course, healing in and temporarily storing your plants for a later date. Find out more about New Southern Garden at NewSouthernGarden.com and check me out here next week. I will be hanging on to uh, help you stay well and grow well. See you next time, gang. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's News Southern Garden Show.